0: Before we get to today's Browns Film Breakdown podcast on the Blue Wire Network, I want to talk to you guys about untuckit.com, doing fantastic things for men looking for comfortable, casual shirts that fit right. If you've seen an untuck button down that's bought from a generic store, you know it looks tacky. Looks ridiculous, sometimes these things hang to the mid thigh or knee, they just plain look bad. Thankfully, Untuckit.com set out to fix this issue with the original button down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your shape or size, Untuckit always has the shirt that falls perfect at that untucked length. More than 50 shirt combinations, Untuckit shirts look great on tall, short, slim, or athletic builds for guys of all ages. Choose from styles like wrinkle free button downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. So untuck it. Your shirts will never be baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. Find that perfect fit on their website. It's easy to use, and they've even had a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for that perfect gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck it's the way to go. Untuckit.com. Use our promo code Blue for twenty percent off at checkout. That's Untuckit.com. Promo code Blue. Get yourself twenty percent off and get yourself a better look. Now off to today's Brown's Phone Breakdown podcast.
1: Baker Mayfield, undraftable. Off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. What a, what a beautiful
0: throw by the Baker. Big job! Hasta la vista, Baby! Welcome into Browns Film Breakdown, your host Jake Burns coming at you again with pods on two days in a row. Writer at the OBR, pretty pumped about getting some content to you guys. Hopefully we're all sort of settling in to who we believe um, you know, Kevin Stefanski can be. Some of you might not have loved the hire. I get it, you're apprehensive, you've seen this route taken before. I'm here to not put a positive spin on things, but just give you perspective. I'm not here to guarantee that this guy is going to be a great head coach. I'm not here to do anything other than just give you perspective on him. I've given you concerns in the last podcast. I've given you um, plenty of things that I think can be a really good positive for him. And then uh, I wanted to bring somebody else on on too here in a little bit. We're going to talk to Nick Olson, who, is, who has worked um, with the, you know breaking down Vikings content over at Viking Territory. So I think he'll give you guys a pretty good perspective on things too. Pretty pumped for you to hear that interview. But before we get to the interview, I want to talk to you guys about analytics and why... I think we're becoming too afraid of something that's way more common than you understand. Like, I think you could break it into tiers for how analytics are used. You know, there's these reports that have come out that I think are a little bit sensationalized about why they shouldn't be having these Monday-Friday meetings uh, and and why ownership shouldn't be involved in those meetings. And while I understand, again, your apprehension, I think you have to look at what the goal is for the Browns, you know, with this hire and the alignment with the front office and what they're trying to do is total um, transparency and total clarity on what the goal is and how they're operating from Monday through Sunday. So uh, while I think the, the, the length of these meetings have been sensationalized, what they should be, could be on Mondays, I don't think it's a bad thing for important people to get in a room and including ownership, who's not going to sit there and ask for them to draw up power on the whiteboard or draw up pin pool on the whiteboard, draw up duo on the whiteboard, draw up Yankee concept passing play on the whiteboard. That's not what they're wanting. Ownership just wants to see that the the the, the, the staff and the, and the uh, people who are helping them crunch numbers are fully prepared for a game and on Monday want to talk about what went right and what went wrong. And I think that it's interesting to me that – some of you think it's micromanagement. I just don't get that vibe. I get a vibe of a franchise that wants to have total and utter transparency about what's going on, and I think it can lead to some really good things. If it is overmanaged, if it is if it is critical, um, then I can see it being a problem, um, especially for uh, you know a staff that if things get tough and and the wins aren't piling up. But I genuinely think that this could trend toward being a positive. And I think it happens more often than you understand across football at all levels. You know, and the Browns were one of them who have made this this sort of thing available. Dave Giuliani, as Albert Breer reported, was a guy who was available for Hugh Jackson and Freddie Kitchens. Um, on the headset, and he could serve as sort of an in-game management specialist role, which is where you're telling them about uh, probabilities and tendencies and when to go for two and when challenges can happen, all of those things that are important to be in the year. And, um, you know, that it's it's interesting that Giuliani never reported to the head coach. He would be reporting to Dee Podesta. And if you have, a, 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 you know, some sort of rift between Dee Podesta and, and whoever the coach is, then it's not going to be something that works out. I think that they're aligning to try to get all of these guys on the same page, which, in my opinion, is something um, of a positive. And especially those Friday meetings where everybody's trying to get on the same page, those are great things. Those are, hey, we really want to do X, Y, and Z. Well, here's the numbers and here's the percentages of what they do in these situations. Pro Football Focus is involved with every team in the NFL. They give them data um, you know, for formations um basic things that teams are doing not play tendencies anything like that but formation tendencies um, some of those alignment things. And I, I, I genuinely think people are scared of something that has been around football forever. Dating back to when I was in high school, we were getting tendencies, percentages of formations used. And I played at a place that was not new school by any stretch of the imagination and did not have a new young staff that pushed this stuff You know, in 2007 or so. It was different. You go into college, you get all of those numbers. The coaching staffs were doing those things. You get to the NFL, you have even smarter people with even more data capability doing those things. As well. Now, analytics goes to more than just scouting, uh, you know, week to week opponents. It goes into the draft and how they approach the draft. And you've seen plenty of data that have been written by, um, you know, Andrew Haney about. Uh, quarterback charting and where they uh, look at quarterbacks in the draft, dating back to their 2016 endeavors, how they value picks, what they're going to look for. I think it's all going to be very fascinating how it aligns. But in, in the Browns getting more numbers involved, um, and then in, if they hire a GM such as Andrew Berry, who's the front runner here, uh, or even we're going to talk about him later. I call him. Uh, you know, I call him by the wrong name, unfortunately. George George Payton is 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 the assistant GM in Minnesota. Those guys are are a mixture of numbers and analysis and football minds. Those guys are the mixture there. They have scouting backgrounds. They go out and see players. That stuff all ties together. I just I think we get afraid of numbers in football. Like it's not a, it's not a big part of what the game is. People were afraid of numbers in baseball, and it changed the game. And I think football is just slowly changing. And it's really been um, pushing forward in the last ten years, and even becoming a bigger part of the day-to-day in the NFL and the pro football focuses. You know your f- sort of opinion on them, and, and you can take them uh, their grading system for for what you want. But they gather data, and that's the point. And the, and the best teams in the NFL are gathering data. They're using people on game day. They're using people in preparation how do we gain statistical advantages we mixed we mix that data with our traditional game planning our traditional prep and it should be the best of both worlds and i think that at the end of the day that's what the browns wanted to do is find the best of both worlds in meshing their football people guys like stefanski and guys who who, who truly are number driven focused people all to get the best product on sunday so relax. The number stuff is fine. And they have a lot of time throughout the week where they're doing a lot of stuff. They can easily craft a time to meet with the the, the data team, air quotes there, or whoever you want to call them, um, quality control people, whatever you want to call them in a staff, the analytics department. And if Jimmy wants to sit in on those meetings, that's fine. He can learn things as he goes. But don't blow that part of things out of proportion. And it is not going to alter the success good or bad of this franchise by having more numbers more information and and using it to your advantage to try to find ways to beat opponents that's all i have to say about it it is being used at all levels data is a big part of football and it's going to be used more and more high school programs have access to huddle to gather data it spits out charts that you map out the technology at the high school level is getting crazy college levels getting crazy it's going to keep trending in that direction so you can either get on the bus or get off and be left behind that's your call as a fan that's your call as a coach whatever you want to do um in that regard but i'm just telling you it's more prevalent than you know and it's happening in more situations than you know too so um that's it that's where i'll end it a little rumor on the block is that wade phillips is uh, potentially uh, close to becoming the the defensive coordinator could be coming. He would be a great hire in my opinion. Yes, he's 72, a little bit older, uh, but he's done uh, great things. Sean McVay brought him in when he was a first time head coach, is uh, as as his guy, his DC to work and and work things alongside him. And McVay was very uh, praising of of what Wade Phillips was was doing for him as a first time head coach, and I think that would be very beneficial. For for Kevin Stefanski. And obviously, Wade is very adaptable, has a sustained success, um, you know, track record in in the defensive side of the football and what he's done in his stops in Denver, uh, Dallas and uh, obviously the rams over the years and i think he'd be a great fit there are other options out there but he would be a great fit we're going to discuss another one of the popular options that is going to come out of minnesota with nick in, in just a bit here so uh let's let's jump over to that interview i think you guys will really enjoy the insight that nick has the conversation we have about where this thing's going and the type of person that stefanski is so let's not waste any time let's get over to our interview All right, excited to welcome in Nick Olson. Many of you, when you have found your, um, you know, profiles or write ups of, uh, of Kevin Stefanski, you stumbled into his fantastic write up, which happened about mid season on why Kevin Stefanski might be the NFL's next great offensive coach. If you have not uh, been able to find that, I will link to it in the description of this podcast, and you can read it. It's worth your time to get a feel for what this scheme is that the Browns liked. Um, you know, they liked the coach, but they liked the scheme that he would hopefully develop here in cleveland and we believe he will develop here in cleveland so i thought nick would be the perfect person to bring on nick writes at viking territory and zone coverage and was nice enough to pull away from the national championship game that's on i'm really doing me a favor and coming on nick how you doing man
1: I'm doing great happy to be here
0: good good we're happy to have you and we're happy to get some insight from you so let's start with this nick where um you know you you've been covering the vikings for a few years now you just told me off uh, off air here and i'm kind of curious as to you know, when you come in, you know, Flip is is calling, John DiFilippo is calling the offense, and uh, things start to stall mid to late season. They make that change. Stefanski comes in, calls the last three games. All of a sudden, he's getting an interview. I believe, I could be wrong here, but I believe that the Browns were the only one to interview him last year, uh, last offseason. And was that something that Minnesota people were pretty surprised by? Or was this like, we've seen this guy go through three coaching changes, he's lasted through three different regimes here. He's obviously a valuable part, smart guy, Ivy League background. Um, This makes linear path sense for him. Or were you guys like, whoa, other people are interested in this guy?
1: I think jumping all the way to head coach after only being an interim offensive coordinator, that was a bit of a surprise um, to to being a finalist uh, along with uh, Freddie Kitchens. But I think um, people knew that he's had just a fantastic reputation. Everybody in the building thinks – um, he had a very, very bright future and knew he could wind up somewhere special uh, sooner rather than later. And as we've seen more and more Sean McVay's and Kyle Shanahan's come along, he kind of fits that build pretty perfectly. So um, same type of offensive scheme, same type of uh, has a reputation as a schematic guru. Um, so it, it fit the bill a lot. And then with Di you know, he's, Stefanski has a reputation as an analytics guy. He's got an Ivy League background. That's where he was a defensive back in college. So. Um, it, it, the, the resumes kind of align. So it made some sense, but at the same time, going from, I've called three games to being a head coach, that was a pretty big jump at the time, so um, would have been, a, I think, a surprise to Vikings fan if he were hired last year, but not so much of a surprise after what he's put together this year.
0: Yeah, so he puts together this quality year, and in the midst of the season, as it hits midseason, you're writing this article, they're, they're, they're peaking. They're doing really, really well, and not to say that they didn't finish well. I thought they finished well despite some injuries, but they're peaking, and is there like a feeling among Vikings fans of, this could be our next head coach?
1: There was actually. In fact, before the the wildcard playoff game kind of quieted the rumors, there was some talk um, that maybe the the, the organization would want to move on from Mike Zimmer and say, hey, you know, kind of like Marvin Lewis, you've hit your ceiling, but here's this young guy and you don't want to let, you know, you don't want to be the Falcons and let Kyle Shanahan through the door or something. Um, so there was some talk about just, they're so high on, on Kevin Stefanski, but ultimately the ownership came in and said, you know, Zimmer has been through a quarterback carousel and his defenses have always been competitive and he's only had one year with a losing record. So we're going to stick by Zimmer. And I don't think that's necessarily the wrong choice, but I do think that everybody was very high on Stefanski and it was before they upset the same. In that wild card round, that was there was I think there were some serious conversations about that.
0: Well, that brings me to sort of you know an important topic when, when you're talking about how well Kevin did as a as a play caller, which is you know he takes over and and has this this season that's pretty strong, but the scheme changed, right? The scheme obviously changed to Gary Kubiak's the Shanahan tree stuff that um, people see, you know seemingly enjoy, which is heavy fullback usage outside or wide zone bootleg off of it, all of those fun things, high rates of play action, those things that you're seeing really succeed in the, the that's taking teams to the championship game between the Packers, 49ers, um, you mm-hmm. know, among others. And 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 is that let me ask you this very important question. I think a lot of Browns fans want to know this question. Was there a feeling in Minnesota, or even you covering them, that this is something that Gary Kubiak is doing? Not that not that Kubiak can't have an influence. I think you know, if 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 Kyle Shanahan was working with, you know, his dad, his dad would have a heavy influence. But um, it, it, my opinion of this situation is that obviously Gary's in the building. He's, in, he's a wealth of knowledge. He knows what he's doing. He's been through plenty of seasons running this offense. He's won b- the biggest games in the world running this offense. He's a great mm-hmm. crutch. He's a great... Wealth of information there. But was it Stefanski doing the legwork? Was he the one developing game plans, just getting insight from those people around him, especially Gary? Um, or was there a feeling among Vikings fans, and like I said, in your study, that this is Gary running this, and it's 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 probably uh, Kevin just asking, you know, situationally, hey, I have a pass play I like. Because a lot of times offensive coordinators will, you know, be passing game guys. Like, that's what they're correct. They don't really know... Um, offensive line run game adjustments that well typically there are some that are special and can do both and you kind of get there as you go but I guess my my, my my big overarching question you can you can deduce from what my long uh, monologue here is is Gary the reason that they were successful or do you think Kevin was the implementer of this system and was the guy driving game plans and was the guy driving in-game success
1: well I, I definitely get the impression that Gary Kubiak had a big influence and I, I think Stefanski Once he came in, he realized, hey, we might have this opportunity. It was really, you can look at this two ways, because it was really Stefanski who wanted to bring in Gary Kubiak. And, you know, he was promoted to full time, had the interim label removed from him, was promoted to offensive coordinator. And literally the first thing he did was say, pound the table and say, hey, I got a connection with Clint Kubiak. Let's bring in Gary Kubiak. And he had him hired above him, essentially um and what was really a, a unusually egoless move in the nfl to say hey this is a guy who can help us win games i've always been attracted to sort of the wide zone bootleg scheme but here's somebody who's won Super Bowls doing it and if i can get his insight and bring him in then i don't care who gets the credit and we're going to roll with that and I, I definitely think um sort of the, the bare bones fundamentals coaching points that's something that comes in you know it takes a village to build a scheme especially when you're in your first year sure. so and i think it was a uh, it was uh, sort of an egoless move to realize that hey, I'm going to need a lot of help if I'm going to do this scheme, um, which you know Stefanski had never really been in a wide zone scheme before. they had been in a lot of different sort of west coasty. Um, different flavors of that. And with Norb Turner, he'd been in an air corial offense. So he'd sort of been under different kinds of offenses. But I think he realized, you know, if I'm going to build a playbook from scratch, it would help if I could start, um, you know, copying Kubiak's notes. I will say, I think a lot of unique wrinkles that Stefanski had, especially in like the screen game, where the Vikings might, might have had one of the best um, screen games in the NFL this past year. I think those are really Stefanski. I, I, I think it was sort of a team effort. You can't really say... Um, you know, oh, point to that play, and oh, that's you know that's a, that's an old Kubiak play, and oh, that's a new wrinkle. You um, mm-hmm. can't really divide it that that even that um, granularly, but I do think Stefanski um, he there were definitely unique flavors that he brought about in the way that he used Stefan Diggs, the way he used Adam Thielen, the way he brought in and made twenty one personnel kind of the identity of the offense, and the way they had they set structured their screens. So um, there's definitely unique flavors there, but I think he's also You know, all along, he's just been, I'm going to be building around the guys that I have and the people that I have, and I'm going to do what works best. And and we're going to switch to wide zone because we've got kind of an undersized offensive line. And these guys, they're not going to bulldoze people if you're running duo or something. But, man, they've they've got some athleticism, and they can get out in front and reach guys. And if we draft Garrett Bradbury, then we can really start to turn this offensive line around. They were really bad running the ball last year. And I think with John DiFilippo, they they just kind of wanted to try everything, and nothing worked. And Stefanski came in and said, okay, we're just going to drill – wide zone every day and we're gonna get the fundamentals down so well and that's what made them from like a bottom three rushing team to a top half rushing team and what made dalvin cook had his career year and same thing with kirk cousins is like um you know he's 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 got some limitations as a quarterback, but we're going to scheme up these sort of half-read bootleg plays that sort of are set up to be explosive. And, you know, Kirk Cousins, he takes care of the ball really well, but we got to give him some defined reads so that he can take some shots downfield. And he really turned around and, and brought these career years out of people by, by building everything around them. So that's what I think is really exciting about him is he's been in enough systems to be flexible with it. But he's also knows how to get the most out of everybody and build his personnel and build the scheme to the personnel rather than the other way around.
0: Yeah, that was something I found pretty fascinating when, when studying and reading up on him was, um, you know, like you mentioned, his exposure to different systems and then his willingness to adapt. And, and uh, you know, him saying he studied Kubiak, the 2015 Texans, or uh, I think it was even before that. I think he was with Denver in 2015. But back when he was with the Texans, he, was, he always caught his eye and he told himself that, you know, if I ever get my shot, this is what I want to run. So I think that I don't have any doubt mm-hmm. that this is a system that Cleveland wants. I think that obviously Nick Chubb is a gifted vision he's not as shifty as Dalvin but he has great vision and he really is a patient runner that has um quick bursts to top speed so I think while Dalvin's shiftier I think that Nick does a lot of things that'll be really effective in this scheme and I think that's something Browns fans should feel um you know extremely excited about I will say when you talk about Cousins what's interesting to me is the first three games um you know, he obviously struggled if you look at the stat lines. Was there just an, an adaptation period there for Kirk before he started to really feel comfortable in this offense? Do you think that was kind of um, an adaptation for everybody? Because it is it is a completely different offense. It is one that is built on timing. You know, wide receivers have to make their timing cuts on these long boot action plays, uh, you know, that, that that has to all work in unison. You talked about them drilling and repping wide zone and having that base play that, that you build everything off of. But there's a lot that goes into running... You know, four seconds worth of play action fake to finally boot back the other way and make those those throws downfield. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Minnesota has two gifted route runners in Stephon Diggs and, and Adam Thielen. And I think Cleveland has, well, not as as maybe elite top two guys there. Odell is certainly um, one of those guys, but maybe Jarvis is not quite there where Adam Thielen is. But it does fit there. Do you think that? Do you think this is something that Baker Mayfield? You maybe haven't watched a ton of Baker, but um, just from your outsider view, do you think this is something he should be able to step right into and be able to handle?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I and I think it's a what's what's really exciting is Baker adds another level of mobility, you know, and that's kind of a big thing about the boot action is is, is that mobility is, is a big part of it as well. And Kirk Cousins, um, you know, he's not the least athletic pocket passer in the league, but he's not he's not he's not quite Baker's level. So yeah. I think that's something that you could build in, you could install. I think one of the really big things that's underrated in all this is James Campen is uh, I I really think think, you know, having Seen the, the Vikings defensive lines go toe to toe with the Packers offensive lines for so many years. He's somebody who I think can be able to do install the nitty gritty and you know the Packers were never really a full on Kubiak Shanahan level of outside zone. It was it was definitely part of their wheelhouse for a yeah. while. And I think yeah. having him be able to install that with the offensive line um, and and you know it's all built around explosive plays and Odell Beckham. You know that's kind of uh, I think it really sort of fits the the weapons that he's that Stefanski is coming into so I think it's it's p- going to be pretty exciting to see him build up that system around them as yeah. far as Cousins struggling out of the gate you know that's that second game against the Packers um Mike Pettin did something really interesting where he just the the backside player would just chase the quarterback on every bootleg um and it opened up huge holes in the running game obviously but it shut down the play action passing and they were kind of caught off guard with that and weren't able to adapt quick enough. Um, so so that kind of destroyed Kirk Cousins' stats in that game. And he had one really bad back foot throw in the red zone um, that resulted in, a, in an interception at a really bad time. Um, the first the, the first and third game, you know, he did really well, but those games, it's sort of like Dalvin Cook was shredding the Falcons, and so they just kept feeding Dalvin Cook. And, you know, it he kind of stum- stumbled a little bit out of the gate, but then they hit a stretch in, like, November where Kirk Cousins was just like, it looked like an MVP candidate. So, um, you know, it, there might be some bumps in the road and obviously anytime when a new head coach comes in, you can't expect it to be night and day immediately. But, um, I do think that the, the base, um, scheme is there and the wrinkles will be added in there to, to make things build something interesting in the long term.
0: You know, what, what I find fascinating to you mentioned, Mike Petton taking away uh, boot action by running that backside mm-hmm. in straight to the quarterback path, which is, which is a really good way to, um, you know, counteract that and take away something teams like this in this situation with what is running that they want to feel comfortable doing. Uh, I, I think that San Francisco did a lot of that too. They took away some of those comfort level things and then it puts them in, in, in situations where score dictates throwing, predictable throwing situations, and then obviously sometimes you're down in distance will put you in those predictable throwing situations. Was there a feeling? I've, mm-hmm. I've studied a little bit. I'm, I'm going to really deep dive. Uh, I liked some of the shotgun stuff that they did. Was there a feeling of... Um, you know, watching them all year. Well, it's third and twelve, or it's third and eight. Where I don't really feel like they're comfortable in these situations. I know that the interior of the Vikings' offensive line wasn't necessarily something that they were great at pass protection wise, but um, I did like some of what they did throwing the football. Did you Did you enjoy what they did in predictable pass situations in terms of creating opportunities?
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. And you know, there there wasn't anything. Um, too fancy once they got down to, you know, just the, just the straight West Coast drop back game. But they'd like to rely on that a little bit to pick up, you know, a quick uh, three, five step drop and then then throw uh, after a hitch or something um, and pick up some some quick yardage on a quick out or something. Um, that was a pretty uh, reliable way for them to move the ball. If they got into third and very long um, and there's some controversy about whether that w- this is from Zimmer, whether it's from Stefanski, but they would often do sort of the give up draw. And just take the yardage and punt. Um, and that was something yeah. that fans didn't love. Um, and, you know, if, if when you see other teams like converting on third and 18 or something, it, it can be frustrating. But I don't think that'll be, I, I get the impression, and this is pure, purely guessing, but I get the impression that's more of top down from Mike Zimmer and, you know, kind of an old fashioned um, control the, the, yeah. the, the, the field. Uh, thing where Stefanski, you know, he's an athletic guy. He's going to be coming in and meeting regularly. With Podesta. Uh they'll probably um, have some more tricks up their sleeve for third and long situations. But I do think he, he 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 relied on the the play action and the boots when they worked because they. It was like makeup that hit a lot of the flaws and just the lack of talent on the offensive line. Yeah, and it really played to Kirk Cousins' strengths and obviously really played to Dalvin Cook's strengths. Um, but when they had to go for deep shots or you know seven-step drops or they had to go on third and long, uh, they had plays drawn up where they could they could move the sticks. So
0: yeah, I was encouraged too. I just was was very interested in your thoughts on that. And then kind of to tying off of that, and and it's interesting to me when you watch. This offense was the second and long stuff. I think people really uh, made note of their 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 high usage of run rate in second and long situations. Was that something you noted? I mean, there's a difference between you're watching a game and you're like, oh god, second and second and ten, here comes a run over against seeing a stat maybe week seven and being like, oh, I didn't really notice that. Was that something you felt like they did a lot? And did you feel like? Let me ask you, this is kind of a two-part question because this is, this is tough. Did you feel like that, that sort of we're going to be a run team even in predictable situations such as second and long, um, we're going to be a run team no matter what? Do you feel like that was a Zimmer ultimatum or do you feel like Stefanski's like this is who I want to be? You know,
1: I feel like it was a top-down thing for Mike Zimmer. But I also think, you know, Stefanski, as much as he's an analytics guy, isn't going to, you know, just sort of, uh, you know, run play action on every single drop back and just never run the ball, I think. And there was an interesting moment, I think, in August last year um, where somebody asked Kevin Stefanski um, what he thought about uh, whether you need to establish the run in, in order to run play action. And Stefanski kind of smirked and said, well, you know, I've read the articles. Um, but we just have to do what kind of makes sense for our team. Um, so, so you know, he's clearly he knows that a lot of the analytics folks out there know that running is generally less efficient. Um, I do think wide zone runs are not the same things like like running inside zone or duo or something sure. on second and long. Um, you know, I think last year the Rams running wide zone had a higher EPA per per drop per per wide zone run than they did on a Jared Goff EPA per drop back. So you can't have an efficient running offense and not all second and 10 runs are the same. You know, sometimes if you get a good too high look because it's second and 10, it might make sense to hand off the ball as opposed to um, throwing the ball. But um, all that's to say, um, I think Stefanski realizes that there's an inefficiency in running the ball in a lot of situations, but he also understands that uh, especially when you're trying to do this this sort of multiple um, boot action plus wide zone offense, that they kind of go hand in hand and you have to marry them and that you have to uh, do both to to really be an efficient offense.
0: That's good to hear. I like hearing that stuff. And and really that ties into my last question about Stefanski, which is if you had to describe him, Nick, in terms of what the Browns are getting, um, just sort of a, a short maybe two sentences, this is what you should expect, this is what I think he is, this is sort of the consensus around the franchise what is your feeling of what the Browns are getting from 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 Kevin? And that, and that ties to like, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about offense, which that's great. I think the Browns want to use the offensive structure. They, that's a big part of why they hired him. But there's more to it, as you know, and as we all sat through with Freddie Kitchens, there's more to coaching than just being able to call an offense. So um, are they getting a guy who can handle the other duties, the management duties, the player respect duties, The uh, data duties, all of those things that come with being a head coach, time management things, some of those things you may not even know, but um, just sort of do you think they're getting a guy that can do this stuff?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely do. And you're sort of taking a shot in the dark when you're going from a one-year of offensive coordinator to head coach. And now you got to be CEO, and you got to be a player coach, and you got to do the press conferences, and you got to do everything. But everything we've seen so far suggests this is a guy whose future is very bright. He's a very, very smart individual. The X's and O's, you're, you're sort of set there. But there's so much more to being a head coach than just drawing up a good scheme. And and while I, I trust that he's going to execute a good scheme, I'm also really impressed with. Uh, his leadership, um, his ability to remain even keeled when situations get tumultuous, you might remember uh, for Vikings fans, there was this big drama after week four. They got kind of a bad loss after the Bears and Stefan Diggs, their star wide receiver, didn't show up to practice. He just skipped out, Didn't wasn't even in town for like two days. And all of a sudden and there were trade rumors going around. And Stefan Diggs is, is a tremendous talent, but he's always been a very emotional guy. Um, and he shows that emotion on the field and, and he's kind of a big personality to manage and, you know there's 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 the drama are the Vikings gonna be forced to trade? Is there gonna be a fire sale? Is their season over? And and you know, within a couple days, like it was all back to calm, and Stefan Diggs was back in practice and it was like nothing happened. So there's this potential to be this sort of season-derailing drama. And I think a lot of people credit Kevin Stefanski for his ability to sort of handle those personalities and deal with it and you know, kind of Deal out the appropriate punishment and maintain respect from the from the players, but still kind of have their backs as well. And, you, you know, I think he's been so popular among the players. Kyle Rudolph has talked really highly of him. Case Keenum, he was Case Keenum's quarterback's coach when Case Keenum suddenly looked like a really good quarterback. Um, he was uh, really close to Case Keenum, too. So I, I really think he's able to manage the player side. You've seen evidence that would make you confident in a lot of these areas. And, you know, anytime a head coach gets hired, it's it's so much new stuff. It's really taking um, a, a shot in the dark. But I, I think you can have a lot of confidence from what we've seen so so far from Stefanski that he's going to be a good leader.
0: Yeah, that's great to hear, especially the digs anecdote there. And really, you want traits. You're hiring traits because, like you said, you don't mm-hmm. know. You don't mm-hmm. know if these guys can do it. You don't know if they can handle pressure. There's so many things that come with it that you don't know, and and I'm glad to hear you say that there are traits there that make you feel like, even Mm -hmm. if it was in Minnesota, he could eventually be a really good head coach, so... Um, fascinating stuff. Great stuff all around. Um, funny you mentioned Case Keenum, because that's a guy I think Cleveland might target as a backup for Mayfield to kind of put some pressure on there. Um, that's for another day. But um, <laughs> uh, last question I want to ask you before you go. We're, we're aiming for 10 minutes. Of course, it's a football conversation, so it's run up to 20. But um, the, the the two Georges, so George Edwards, defensive coordinator, is, is, is not renewed contract, um, has worked with Uh, Zimmer, obviously, there for a while, has been a part of great defenses. Didn't call those defenses, but um, after his time in Buffalo, where he ended up getting fired, he links up with Zimmer and they put together really good defenses. So, two part question. First part is what do you think of Edwards? Would he be a decent hire for Cleveland, taking over sole ownership of a defense? And then George Patton, who the Browns are kind of down to two names, it seems like, after Ed Dobbs declined an interview with Cleveland. Uh, Patton's the vice president, player personnel, um, assistant general manager uh, there in there in Minnesota. Sort of what has he done? Would he be somebody that uh, Cleveland should be interested in? So, just sort of your thoughts on both of those guys before I let you go.
1: Yeah, Edwards, it's a little tough to to tease out, kind of like with Kubiak and Stefanski, um, who's responsible for what in the defense. But obviously Zimmer's defenses have been very consistently among the best in the league for the past few years and 2017 it was number 1 on third downs and 2018 it was number 1 on third downs and it's a very complicated scheme they run probably more coverage shells than pretty much anybody they they were they were kind of a so, I don't want to say base cover three, but they probably ran a plurality of cover three, and then they became a plurality cover four. But they run two, three, four, six, smattering of one and a couple other weird things. And then that's not even getting into the front. So it's a very complicated um, defense, but it's very effective. requires smart players who communicate well. Um, I think Edwards would be really well able to install that defense. Um, he did call plays on a couple occasions when... Um, Zimmer had some health issues he had to get surgery on his eye once so Edwards called a game there and there might have been a couple others um, here and there so I do think he could handle play calling and in fact I I think there was a time when they wanted Zimmer, like the ownership where Zimmer wanted to stop calling plays so he could focus on the other aspects of game management and the ownership talked him into, to, to, to keeping on being the play caller. Yeah. So I, I, I think Zimmer has confidence in Edwards ability to call plays, um, which is, you know, that's the biggest vote of confidence I think you could get. So I, I do think he could be good. And then for, for Peyton, I think it's Peyton might be Patton. Um, he's kind of somebody who's been, um, everything I said about how well regarded Stefanski is Peyton's the same, the same deer and the same thing. Um, Just everyone is highly respected, knows that he could have a GM job if he wanted. And for a long time, he's just kind of turned down interviews, but I think he and Stefanski are sort of really close. And so, Uh, He sees this opportunity there. Well, this could be something special where I'm not going to turn it down because I I do think this could be a really good fit. Um, I think there was some talk, kind of what I was just saying earlier, where there's a possibility that maybe Zimmer would be um, sort of forced into retirement and Stefanski could take over. There was the same thing for Rick Spielman, general manager of the Vikings, that he could be um, forced aside in Peyton because they've been they're just really excited about his prospects and they know that he's if they don't let If they don't um, promote him internally somebody's gonna poach him eventually. So um, Obviously Spielman, you know the, the, the draft it's hard to judge general managers by the drafts But I think the pro scouting departments done a really good job um, They've done a fantastic job, especially with their contracts. It's kind of Rob Brzezinski is another guy who does like most of the contract work but they've been able to extend a lot of big-name players um, and keep kind of the core all together for a while now. So um, just the roster building, the construction, the management, I know he's had a big part of it, and I think he's been a big reason for the success. And I can tell you that his reputation is is very um, hes very well regarded within the Vikings organization.
0: And it is Peyton. I was thinking of the famous World War II general, apparently, when I went with George <laughs> Patton. Yes, Peyton, my bad. Um, no, great insights. Those, those are things that uh, Browns fans will specifically pay close attention to because it does seem like Peyton is growing in – um, a likelihood as things sort of have, have cooled down a little bit with Andrew Berry. Two names before we go that I'm going to ask you whether they're staying or going. Okay, you don't have to elaborate at all. Staying or going? Everson Griffin. Is he going to hit the market or do you think he's staying? I think he's going. I think he's going. I kind of lean that way too. And then lastly, a guy I really like because you talk about cover three scheme stuff. I think Cleveland might get into Anthony Harris. Staying or going?
1: I think he's staying.
0: Okay, good stuff. I appreciate it, Nick. I I, I can't thank you enough, man. This is. I'm sorry I went. Fifteen minutes longer, but I think Browns fans and I know this podcast listeners will will certainly appreciate all your insight, man. I, I can't thank you enough.
1: No, I, I love it. Honestly, like I, I'm a Vikings fan, but it's I'm just so optimistic about Stefanski. I don't want to oversell him, but I just. I'm really I'm I'm one of the more optimistic guys about him, and I don't I know Browns fans don't need anybody to sell them hope, but I'm just very convinced that he's going to be somebody special in the league. So it'll be really interesting to see how it all comes together over the next couple of years.
0: We hope so, and I think the Browns are doing a lot of things to support him uh, with alignment that they haven't done for a head coach in a while. So. I'm excited. Uh, Browns fans hate it. I think Browns fans hate it because they don't know a good coach (laughs) when it smacks them in the face. They've loved the last two guys, and we've seen how that works out. So, Nick, thanks again, man. Guys, keep listening to these. We're going to pump out as much content on who Steven, or sorry Kevin Stefanski is as, as we can possibly do, Nick, give us insight that we wouldn't have gotten from anybody else. We really appreciate him giving us some time. As usual, thanks for listening. Like, subscribe, all of those good things on, uh, on iTunes, and we will be back uh, maybe one more time this week with some more insight on Stefanski and talk about his opening press conference and all that fun stuff. So thanks for listening again, and as usual, Go Browns!